Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So um, physical healing stories, like the one that was just read, they're complicated. Um, honestly, I've known too many people who have prayed earnestly for their child or their friend or their sibling or even a parent to be healed in a time of major medical crisis to claim that God will give us the things that we want because we asked in faith. And don't get me wrong, I wish that were the case. It would be really wonderful if every prayer I lifted were answered exactly that I hoped that they would be, but that of course, would mean I was God. <laughs> I can assure you, I am not God. So before we dive into the passage, I really want to make something very clear. God does not punish individuals with death or sickness or disorder. That's not how God works. And on the other side of that, God does not reward individuals with riches, longevity, or good health. At least, that's not what I see in Scripture. So we have to ask, what is really going on here? What's the lesson that we're meant to take from this text? The first thing is really to look back at the scope of Scripture to see that healing stories through the prophets and so many other parts of the Bible are always about restoration as much as they are about the actual healing. When the prophets talk about healing, they're nearly always referring to a communal healing, not an individual healing. And that communal healing that they describe is nearly always about people far from God, far from the covenants of God. Uh, they're given away a path, a chance back into the presence of God and back into their rightful place in the beloved community. So the first thing, healing stories should make our minds think about who is being restored. What was fractured that needs repair? Secondly, because healing stories are usually about restoration and community, they are always meant to challenge us as individuals towards restoration and towards community. Earlier this week in my newsletter, I wrote about belonging. I talked about obvious things, right? Like we all crave belonging, no surprise there. And I also talked about hard things, um, you know, because we crave belonging, we also find great comfort in easy categories around who doesn't belong. If I belong, who isn't me? And how do I keep them out? And this is the heart of the matter in each of these stories in John's gospel. There's a string of interactions that Jesus has, right? First, in chapter two, he makes wine for a party. Why? To enable the party to keep going and to enable the community to continue to be able to celebrate a covenant being formed together. Next, we see that he goes to the temple and he runs off a bunch of merchants and money changers from that sacred space making the holy space of God more accessible for those on the financial margins of their society. After kicking people out of the temple and creating space 
for folks on the margins. He has an intimate and kind of painful conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus, who comes to him acknowledging his passion and his many gifts. And Jesus tells him that he needs to be reborn. Essentially, he, Jesus tells Nicodemus he needs to start over, right? To learn a fresh perspective beyond easy judgments and easy boundaries, allowing space for more people to gather at the feet of God. Later in that chapter, we have a little diversion from Jesus, but we see John, Jesus's cousin, John, who is known in other gospels as John the Baptist. He resists the temptation from his followers to see Jesus as a rival, and instead he tells them to join in with Jesus, right? So John himself embodies that unification, that restoration around the presence of God found in Jesus. And of course, that unification of these two fringe figures, John and Jesus, scares all of the religious folks and forces Jesus to travel out of his home community into Samaria. And in Samaria, we see Jesus has another long conversation with a woman who is unnamed in scripture, who has been marginalized by her community, but Jesus gives her a new voice and she's restored to her community, not just as the person that she had always been, but instead now as a leader to her community. And through her, this outcast community is reconciled and restored with the larger people of God, the lasting covenant with God. And then we get to the passage today. And really, there are two healing stories back to back, one at the end of the fourth chapter and one at the beginning of the fifth. And we have not read the beginning of the fifth chapter. So if you want to read that, I would highly encourage you to do it because it's important to see how Jesus interacts with each of these people along the way. So we have these two healing figures, these two healing stories. One is a political figure's son. And one is a long-suffering forgotten man who's unable to walk and even unable to enter into the healing pools outside of the temple. And so in just these first four and a half chapters, we start to see a pattern forming. Who is receptive to Jesus and who resists Jesus? We start to see a clear picture of these two camps. And you know, I've actually seen a lot of folks posing this question on like social media lately. If Jesus appeared now in an American church, would anyone even recognize him? And I think it's asked sort of flippantly, but it's a good and hard question, right? If Jesus showed up in our context, would we even recognize his presence? It's a great question. And the question comes with a really strong challenge. What I tend to notice is that those of us who um, like to think that we're already in, who already feel like we belong, uh, we already know that we matter, we already believe that God is on our side, we're often the most resistant people to the voice of God, even though we're also pretty good at recognizing everybody else's resistance, right? <laughs> It's similar to the ways that we encounter things like the civil rights movement or specific figures within the civil rights movement. Most of us 
In the 21st century context, most of us tend to think that we would have been advocates for civil rights. And most of us are appalled at the ways that white people behave towards the nonviolent movements for voting rights of African-American citizens. And now I know many of you um, participating in worship now have done your work around this. So you may already know the reality. Most of us living in Georgia in similar circumstances would really behave the same as the white folks living in the Jim Crow era South did. Over the last 60 years, we've grown as a nation and as individuals, and because we've grown, we've made some important steps towards equity. There's a sort of temptation to stop and to settle into comfort. And so many of us were forced to reassess our belief in a free society and our commitment to these goals of uh, equity and justice and an abundance of love in this nation built around freedom. We had to reassess these beliefs when all of us watched helplessly as George Floyd died under the knee of a police officer, and then Sandra Bland was killed in her home by police officers, and then Ahmaud Arbery was killed on a run through his neighborhood, and we were forced to reckon with our actual beliefs. Will we see with honest eyes, or will we let comfort and easy answers dictate our response to the people once again nonviolently calling for change. And we can see plainly that many folks who quote nonviolent remarks from a generation gone by, led by Martin Luther King Jr., they condemn it now as they hear it now. It's a great irony, I think. So many of us who celebrate the civil rights movement are resistant to it in this current season. So right now, 2,000 years after Jesus's life and death and resurrection, it's easy to look at the religious folks encountering Jesus in that era and think, of course I would be better than them. Of course I would recognize the presence of God in front of me. I wouldn't resist Jesus doing all these things. But Really, would we, honestly, would we really respond well to Jesus messing with our status quo right now? Would it, we allow everyone that we have put in their place to be reconciled into our community? Would we allow healing to happen and not take it as an offense to our own sense of right and wrong? Now, I'm sure all of us know what the right answer is, of course. Of course, we would want to celebrate the Samaritan's woman, woman's incredible prophetic faith. Of course, we would celebrate the lifelong politician being reconciled to his community, even though he's ignored their needs for his whole tenure. Of course, we would want that reconciliation to happen. But these passages are so challenging to me because they tend to hit me right in the gut. I so easily fall into habits of belonging that are about us and them, me and you, and separating and clearly defining who belongs and who doesn't. But through Christ, 
We are really taught a new way of encountering the world, not through cynicism or conceit or judgment, but instead through Christ. We are taught to see every person as though they belong in my extended family. If it is true that God so loved the world, then I feel compelled to learn how to do that too. <laughs> and our Lord knows I cannot do it on my own. I depend entirely on the grace of God to open my eyes and my ears to see and hear where the Spirit is calling me to reconcile, to redeem, and to reclaim the community where I have let health and abundance fester into alienation and scarcity. <laughs> I am so grateful for our God who is alive in every generation, bending the arc of our history towards a beloved community sustained by the abundance of God's grace and justice. And I hope that you will join me in this work of being transformed and allowing space for transformation. May it be so in our lives. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.